Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. Regardless of whether or not you celebrate Thanksgiving, all of us who care about the welfare of animals certainly had an extra something to be thankful for as the holiday season gets underway. In case you missed it on the news, I'm referring to the bill that President Trump signed into law on November 25th that now makes animal cruelty a federal felony. The new law, known as the PACT Act, stands for the Preventing Animal Cruelty and Torture Act. Under this law, intentional acts of cruelty to animals are federal crimes, and offenders can now be punished with fines, felony charges, and up to seven years in prison. President Trump said during the signing ceremony where he was joined by animal activists, it's important that we combat these heinous and sadistic acts of cruelty, which are totally unacceptable in a civilized society. Trump added that he was pleased to approve this legislation that would help us to be, quote, more responsible and humane stewards of our planet. Animal advocates have been questioning the lack of federal legislation criminalizing animal abuse for years. Here's a good President Trump quote. Why hasn't this happened a long time ago? I asked the same question. Why hasn't it? And I give you the same answer. Because Trump wasn't president. Anyway, this bill was introduced in the House of Representatives this year by two Florida lawmakers, Ted Deutsch, a Democrat, and Representative Vern Buchanan, a Republican. A companion bill was introduced in the Senate. On Tuesday, October 22nd of this year, the House of Representatives unanimously passed the bill. In early November, the Senate also unanimously passed the bill. With bipartisan support, the PACT Act was on its way to President Trump's desk to formalize legislation that animal advocates believe was long overdue. President of the Humane Society of the United States, Kitty Block, states, PACT makes a statement about American values. Animals are deserving of protection at the highest level. The approval of this measure by the Congress and the president marks a new era in the codification of kindness to animals within federal law. For decades, a national anti-cruelty law was a dream for animal protectionists. Today, it's a reality. So here's a little background. This law is meant to expand upon the Animal Crush Video Prohibition Act, which went into effect in 2010, yet contained some significant oversight. When the 2010 bill was approved, it became illegal to create, sell, or distribute what are known as animal crushing videos. However, the law only applied to the recordings of acts of cruelty against animals. It did not cover the actions of cruelty themselves. This new law changes that, making the acts of animal cruelty illegal under federal law. Senator Richard Blumenthal, a Democrat from Connecticut and one of the 301 co-sponsors of the bill, states there's no place in a civilized society for maiming and torturing animals, period. For those who are unfamiliar with the term, animal crushing is defined as conduct in which one or more living non-human mammals, birds, reptiles, or amphibians is purposely crushed, burned, drowned, suffocated, impaled, or otherwise subjected to serious bodily injury. Disturbed and sick individuals out there. The 2010 Animal Crush Video Prohibition Act went into effect in response to an alarming trend that has been gaining popularity on the Internet in both the U.S. and in other countries. Animal Crush videos are considered their own genre. They are often referred to as an extreme genre of porn. People make and distribute their own 
depraved videos, often as a form of entertainment, in which live animals were shown suffering from horrific torture, mutilation, and gruesome deaths. The videos often depict small defenseless animals being crushed to death by women wearing high heels. Although this behavior would be recognized as illegal under both state and federal laws, very few perpetrators have been brought to justice because of the difficulty identifying those doing the crushing. Often the perpetrators' faces are covered with masks or hidden altogether. As if this were not disturbing enough, the primary purpose of the crush videos for both viewers and creators is usually sexual gratification. Many law enforcement agencies indicated great support for the new legislation because evidence continues to show a link between animal cruelty and violence toward people. Some in law enforcement believe if they can catch animal abusers and bring charges against them, they may prevent those people from acting out violent urges against people later. Chris Schindler, vice president of field services at the Humane Rescue Alliance, states the PACT Act is a necessary tool for us to provide further protections for animals in our community and will ensure some of the most horrific acts of animal cruelty are prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. There are very few federal animal protection laws on the books in the United States. Federal law had previously only prohibited animal fighting, like dog fighting and cock fighting, under the Animal Welfare Act. Until the signing of this law, most regulation regarding the treatment of animals has happened at the state level. Before that, the Animal Welfare Act of 1966 was the only federal law in the United States that regulated the treatment of animals. The Animal Welfare Act pertains primarily to animals in zoos and laboratories, as well as other animals that are bred for commercial purposes. Additionally, the Animal Welfare Act only set minimum standards regarding the handling, care, treatment, and transportation of animals. Now that the PACT Act has been signed into law, federal authorities can go after the offenders since they will have federal jurisdiction and will not be bound by state laws. They can also prosecute violators if animal cruelty occurs on federal property. So the PACT Act is a big step forward in animal protection. But the act does have exceptions. It doesn't include the meat industry, cases of accidental animal abuse, or legitimate medical procedures. Hunting, fishing, and scientific research enterprises also don't fall under the new legislation. And all of these industries have long been targeted by animal rights activists who would like to see stricter regulations regarding how animals are treated in these areas. Nonetheless, many animal activists say the new law is a win for animal rights because it increases the chances that animal abuse will be punished. Don't you think a civilized country like the United States should have had some federal laws like this on the books decades ago? Clearly, animal abuse is not a new problem. I would think that lawmakers would have criminalized this behavior long before 2019. However, rather than dwelling on what should have happened, I'm going to follow the lead of Sarah Amundsen, president of the Humane Society Legislative Fund, who said the following, We cannot change the horrors of what animals have endured in the past, but we can crack down on these crimes moving forward. This is a day to celebrate. So in that spirit, I think regardless of our political viewpoints, we all need to take a moment to give President Trump his due for signing the PACT Act into law. And frankly, I have to say, it does surprise me that he did. 
I would not have predicted that it would be Donald Trump who would have passed such necessary legislation to protect defenseless animals. I mean, he's the first U.S. president who doesn't have a dog. His sons are well known for big game hunting and for selling and raffling off tickets for big game hunting tours. That just doesn't paint our president as the image of an animal lover. But perhaps I judged him wrong. Either way, President Trump just did a great thing for animals and for the animal welfare movement. There's more Animals Today coming up right after the break. You're listening to Animals Today, and wow, we're entering our 12th year of broadcasts. Very exciting for us. Animals Today is a project of the nonprofit animal welfare organization Advancing the Interests of Animals, or AIA. AIA is a national organization that addresses animal welfare issues around the globe through public education and regional projects. Its primary focus is to encourage people of all ages to treat animals with compassion and respect. Check them out at aianimals.org. And hey, if you like what you hear, you like animals today, you like what we're doing, you like what we stand for, consider donating to AIA. That website again is aianimals.org. We don't talk about donkeys much, but we're going to talk a little bit about them now. The Donkey Sanctuary released a new report stating donkeys are in a state of global crisis. Donkeys are being slaughtered for EGIO. Have you heard of EGIO? E-J-I-A-O. It's a type of gelatin and it's used for traditional Chinese medicine. It's made by boiling donkey's skin. Well, donkey populations are plummeting because of the increase in demand for this EGIO. The donkeys come from Ethiopia, Tanzania, Uganda. Anyway, according to the report, China alone requires an estimated 4.8 million hides per year for EGEO production to meet the demand, prompting traders, mainly in Africa, Asia, and South America, to export more skins to China. The Donkey Sanctuary's CEO, Mike Baker, states, Never before have donkeys faced this level of threat as their local populations in some countries collapse due to relentless demand for their skins. It is a crisis that demands immediate action, and we are calling for an urgent halt to the global trade in donkey skins. He continues, These dependable, hardworking, sentient animals experience appalling suffering as a result of the activities of skin traders across the world. They are often transported long distances without food, water, or rest, and they can be held for days in yards without shelter before being slaughtered in often brutal conditions. An estimated 20% of donkeys, many of which are illegally stolen and transported, die on the way to the slaughterhouse. And then what happens at these slaughterhouses, I've seen a couple videos, just too hard to watch, I'm not going to tell you. But these donkeys are abused in just unimaginable ways and slaughtered for traditional Chinese medicine. And is this really necessary? Yes, I was trained in modern medicine, but I can and and do accept some treatments that are used in place of conventional medical practices. There are some herbal products used in traditional Chinese medicine for certain conditions that have been studied and for the most part have been proven to be safe and effective. Other approaches that make up traditional Chinese medicine, such as acupuncture or Tai Chi, could be potentially very helpful for our body and mind. But come on, boiling donkey skins? According to the Donkey Sanctuary website, Egeo is believed to improve blood circulation and thus used as a blood tonic by people with anemia, low blood cell counts, or reproductive problems. 
There are so many effective and ethical substitute materials available. Do we really need to resort to something that tortures and kills animals and threatens entire species of animals? The donkey sanctuary is calling for the edgio industry to cut ties with the global skin trade and move towards more, quote, sustainable sources of raw materials provided by cellular agriculture. Very sad. A while back, Lori and I had a problem with a pet sitter. Actually, we have had a few misadventures, but I'm just going to share this one episode. We were out of town, and this new pet sitter, she was staying in our home, and uh, she was there to take care of our cats. And as usual, we were very clear. Our cats are indoor cats. They do not go outdoors at all. Make sure to close the doors behind you and so on, all those things. Well, we come back, and she tells us that she decided to take our cat, Felix, for a walk outside. We were shocked and and so angry at her. Um, She must have come with a harness or a leash or something, but it was just unbelievable that she Mm -hmm. thought that this was okay, given our very detailed instructions. And, you know, a little later, we learned that our neighbor's dog got her leg broken while being watched by the same pet sitter and also that she was a drug Mm -hmm. user. Like I said, I have other stories too, but that's maybe for another show. So how do you find a great pet sitter or dog walker? I want to welcome Kristen Morrison. She is the owner and developer of Six Figure Pet Business Academy. So if you want to learn how to create a successful and profitable career in the pet industry or how to improve your ongoing business, you're going to want to connect with Kristen. Welcome. Thank you so much. And, you know, first of all, I want to say just... On behalf of all wonderful pet sitters, I'm so sorry to hear about your experience. That can be very traumatizing to have that kind of experience with a pet sitter. Um, indeed. Oh. So, uh, so uh, what mistakes do you see pet guardians and pet owners do when they're in the hiring process? Where does this go wrong? Yeah, so I often see pet owners, pet guardians hiring just anyone. Maybe they'll go on WAG or Rover, you know, go on the apps and find somebody who has a couple great reviews and they'll hire them thinking, oh, this is a great person. But really, a lot of the people that are on the apps, it's not to say that all of them, but a lot of the people that are on there are tend to be kind of fly-by-night pet sitters. They're not doing it professionally. It's not a career or a livelihood for them. And so they're not as invested as they would be if they have and are professional full-time pet sitters and dog walkers. So that's really the first step is to look for somebody that has been doing this for preferably a few years and to really check check references. And it's not just looking to see how many five-star reviews, but asking them if they're willing to give you phone numbers of actual clients that they've recently cared for and preferably a number of times for those particular clients so that you can really pick those clients' brains to get a sense of if they followed directions. You know, did they feel like their pets were well cared for when they came home? Pet owners are very sensitive and intuitive with their pets, just like they would be with their kids. So you know if something didn't go well in your absence. 
previously. So it's important to ask the pet owners how they felt upon their return home in terms of this particular pet sitter. So that's really the first step. Okay, what other uh, things do you look for? Well, it's important that they are good with both pets, which is absolutely crucial, but also people. So you want someone that you can actually have a conversation with that is listening, (laughs) that is following directions. You know, you had this experience where you were very clear with them. And it's, you know, I'll be honest, it can be hard to to know if somebody is going to be following directions, you know, in the first time that they're caring for your pet. You definitely know after that. But that would be something that I would be asking those referrals that you've called to say, did this person follow directions? And what specific directions did you have for them that they needed to follow that were crucial for them to follow? So that's a way to kind of check it before they've actually cared for your pets. So having them be good with pets and people, and then also having them follow directions, really important, especially if there's medication or something involved. Are they punctual when you meet them for the first time? This really sets the stage for if they're going to be punctual when you're not there and checking, right, to see if they arrived on time. Do they have experience with the type of pets you have? So, you know, if you have a very unusual animal, it's important that they've got experience with that. If you've got a cat that's very sensitive or that has some kind of medical issue, do they have experience with that? It's important to really match the right pets that are with your particular situation that you have in regards to your pets. If you have both dogs and cats, are they comfortable with both, and do they like both kinds of animals? Some people will say, oh, I love dogs, cats, well, you know, I can take them or leave them. That's not going to be a good fit if you have both kinds of animals. Yeah. It's really important if they are administering medication to make sure that they can do it, especially if you have cats. Killing cats, if you've ever done it, can be a very big challenge, especially if your cats can be aggressive when that happens. So one question to ask a potential pet sitter is, you know, my cat does need medication, needs pills. How would you pill my cat? Yeah. What? Tell me how you would do that. Yeah. And then you can see if that's the way you do it. And if not, you could train them on how to do it, but it's probably a good idea if they are, again, matched with how you actually administer the medication and they've done that that particular way before. So I'm hearing sort of old-fashioned, traditional uh, face-to-face interviewing and assessment, not to let the technology uh, interfere with uh, your smarts and your intuition. Yes, that's very well said. I think we, because a lot of us are using Uber, and which is a very different situation than having somebody in your home with your pets, both very personal, intimate, <laughs> prized <laughs> um, experiences, right? You've got a pet that you love. You've got a home that you love. So, yes, you can use an app, but it's really important to take the further steps of actually meeting that person in person before they've actually done the job when you're not there so that you can really get a sense of how are they. And the other thing that's really important is if they're more interested in you 
at the initial interview or the meet and greet than they are with your pets, that's going to be really good information that they're probably not going to be very interested in your pet when you're not there. So, you know, I've heard from a number of pet sitters who have hired other pet sitters to work for them that, you know, they've interviewed these people and they've been more interested in the, the you know, music collection. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if they have records, you know, then they or the decorating of the house than they have been with the pets. And it's really not okay. The main reason that they're there is because of the pets, not you as the human, the client or your home. So really paying attention when you're meeting them for the first time. Where is their energy going? Where is their attention going during the meet and greet? Are they taking notes when you are explaining things that are really important to you about your pets and your home? Kristen, really great information. I wish we had a little bit more time to speak. Where can people learn more about you? What's your website? My website is Six Figure Pet businessacademy.com. It's all spelled out, one word. If you just search for it online, you'll find it. And there's a lot of good stuff there. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. More with animals today after this quick break. back. Bob Ferber has returned, and we've got two things we are going to discuss today, beginning with the case that we spoke about a couple weeks ago of an elderly woman in uh, Northeast Ohio, and she was sentenced by a judge for feeding cats around her house, and she just refused to stop. And uh, Bob explained how it must have been a tough situation where the judge really had no choice. And uh, we have an update on that. So welcome, Bob, and tell us what's happened. Well, Peter, the judge relented, I'm sure, from lots of public pressure and probably also sympathy for for this woman and vacated the 10-day sentence. When we last spoke, everybody remembered that the judge imposed 10 days. But held on to it, put it on hold. The judge apparently is is giving the woman another chance. But it, it became clear in the latest media coverage that, as we suspected, she had been given many, many chances. She kept refusing to do it, even denying that she was doing it when neighbors, and according to one article, even her own family was saying that she was still doing it. Uh, and so the judge has given her one more chance. Uh, I feel for the judge and everybody in the legal system because they're trying to stop somebody from doing something that just she's been very difficult in refusing. Uh, I think that ultimately the woman has some mental issues. In the most recent article, there was a suggestion that she's still even denying that she was doing it when she was doing it, mm. still doing it. So. Let's hope that she doesn't continue. I think it's an example of somebody who sadly does need some mental health care, and hopefully that will resolve it. But it really shows how sometimes the legal system can be very frustrated in dealing with somebody with a mental health problem. And I think this was more about that than it was really about somebody feeding cats in a neighborhood. 
Very good. Okay, so this also has just come up, which I know you are interested in. We've talked about uh, issues like this before, and that is the Department of Transportation has announced a new ruling or a clarification of a rule stating that miniature horses are permitted to fly as service animals. And I said to myself, oh, that's interesting, and uh, but it's really complicated and still, and it's going to raise even more questions. Uh, what's going on there, Bob? First off, the press release from the Department of Transportation, really you could sense the frustration that they have, but they made it sound like they finally figured it all out. Well, they, I don't believe that they figured this out. They have ruled that uh, miniature horses, which are commonly used and very successfully used as therapy animals on the ground, that they qualify as legal uh, emotional support slash service animals on airplanes. And they've indicated that airplanes are required to allow them on, assuming that the animals have no behavior issues or it's not real clear about how the airline is supposed to figure that out. But they, they did put a caveat in that, of course, this, that any animal, service animal, still has to be well-behaved and not a danger or have any diseases or anything that can, you know, obviously harm other passengers. But their ruling is that, in general, a miniature horse is allowed on an airplane as a therapy animal. Okay, and you are familiar with horses, and uh, there's possible trouble ahead when you've got a horse, even a little one, and these little ones can be as heavy as 250 pounds in turbulence or uh, unfamiliar situations. Right. Uh, I'm a horse lover. I've ridden. I've dealt with miniature horses. They're absolutely wonderful. But anybody familiar with horses knows that a horse is inherently can be a very dangerous animal in a situation where that horse is afraid. Even the most well-trained horses respond uh, negatively to something that surprises them, scares them. I question the wisdom of the Department of Transportation in that while a miniature horse makes a great therapy animal on the ground, I'm not sure that they have thought out the consequences of a therapy animal that's 200 pounds, that's fear-based, that's in in an airplane um, in the air and could panic and can kick, can injure a person. If a horse panics in a schoolyard or in a setting where where they're being a therapy animal for children, whatever, and they get scared, they can be led out of the situation. A horse on an airplane can't be led anywhere. So the horse is now confined, and it seems to me an inherently very dangerous situation. As much as I am a horse lover and an advocate for the airlines allowing a variety of therapy animals on airplanes, it makes me wonder. A, a, a young child is who has a guinea pig as a support animal is not allowed to bring that animal on an airplane but somebody's allowed to bring a 200-pound fear-based animal on an airplane. Where is the logic? I, I think that whoever was making these decisions may not have thought out the nature of horses, and that while uh, horses make great therapy animals on the ground, should they really be in an airplane? Keep in mind that this ruling from the Department of Transportation doesn't provide any immunity 
for the airlines. So the airlines are now faced with the possibility of some real uh, litigation from other people when they're in an airplane and a horse. Forget about the, the possibility of a horse defecating or peeing, which would be quite something in an airplane. Even a 200-pound, a small miniature horse can produce a lot of poop and pee. Uh, but putting that aside, my concern is the safety of the passengers and the safety of the horse. And a horse can actually hurt itself terribly by being in a confined situation and panicking. So I don't know whether animal advocates or animal experts advise them on this, but as an attorney, I think this is not the end of this, that we're going to hear more about this. And I think if we see more therapy horses on airplanes, I fear we're going to have some situations that are going to hopefully not cause any injuries, but probably will end up with, in some litigation. I'm sure we'll be revisiting this again. Again, Peter, an autistic child who has a guinea pig as a support animal can't bring that on the plane, but somebody else can bring a 200-pound horse on the plane. Just mystifies me. Bob, on a related issue, we have a ruling about pit bulls on airline flights. What was that? Yeah, a very welcome ruling from the Department of Transportation that rejected Delta Airlines' decision to ban all pit bulls uh, from airplanes. Uh, They very logically indicated that animals should be treated individually and and that it shouldn't be based on a breed and that uh, you can't have breed discrimination in deciding whether an, an animal can be on an airplane. So that was a welcome change and uh, anybody who knows pit bulls and has had them knows that they can be the sweetest most loving and most terrific therapy animals so there was a logical ruling there bob briefly talk about the rights of a passenger without an animal let's say i'm seated next to a flyer with a service animal and i'm just not comfortable or i don't like animals or i sneeze uh, what rights does that flyer have to be moved there is no established rights. Uh, That's the the legal answer to your question. But it has come up in all these situations. Uh, Cats, of course, are legitimate therapy animals that can be on on airplanes. I'm a big cat lover and cat rescuer, but I'm aware that people who are allergic to cats, it can be a very, it can be actually a medically frightening situation. The way the airlines have handled this and guidelines from the from uh, the, the Department of Justice have been uh, that you try to accommodate everybody. Uh, your listeners might remember that the uh, Americans with Disability Act talks about reasonable accommodation. So airlines, if there's a cat in aisle in row three, uh, and there's somebody in row four that's allergic to cats, the airlines will move either the cat or the uh, the person allergic to the cat so that they can accommodate each other. It, it's not always a workable solution, and, you know, this is an ongoing problem. Yeah. Um, the rights of passengers, we've seen it come up not just with animals, but with people sitting next to somebody with a hygiene issue. Uh, uh, nobody who's flown hasn't dealt with the screaming baby that can scream three hours in a flight. What do you do about that? So I think this is an evolving area of law about 
the rights of passengers who don't have a therapy animal, don't have a baby, um, who are not, you know, where they are the victims of somebody else asserting their rights. And I'm not saying people shouldn't have babies on airplanes. I would hope that they would shower when they're on an airplane, but uh, before they get on an airplane. But yeah, this is an evolving problem. And, you know, one thing that was suggested many years ago was why haven't airlines uh, come up with a physical arrangement so that certain areas of an airplane can be cordoned off. Uh, you know, we might remember, it was kind of comical, but in the 50s and 60s, airplanes had a smoking section. I mean, it was kind of a joke because you're in a aluminum tube and it didn't really protect non-smokers. But the technology is there that you certainly could have a section in the back where maybe, uh, you know, a service animal, maybe a horse service animal is in the back or a cat or, you know, I don't want to upset your listeners who are children, but a children's section or an adults-only section. Uh, these are things that the airlines have rejected so far, but it's possible that in the coming years and decades, that as litigation happens, and this will happen, they may be forced to do something. You know, sometimes it, it takes some major lawsuits for corporations to make changes. So uh, it's a really good question, and it's an unresolved issue about the rights of passengers. I think that we're going to see this come up again, especially with this latest ruling about allowing therapy horses on airplanes. We'll have to see. Bob Ferber, thanks for joining us again. You're welcome. Okay, more with animals today after the break. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner from Animals Today. Here's a question for you. What do game show host Bob Barker, actress Tippi Hedren, journalist and author Jane Velez Mitchell, and rock legend Paul Rogers all have in common? That's right. Each one has been a guest on Animals Today. In fact, people from all walks of life, like scientists, lawyers, dog and cat rescuers, and whale protectors, have shared their views and described their work on behalf of animals on the show. So keep up on the latest and most important animal news and issues from around the world each week right here. Make sure to join the discussion on Facebook and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And of course, I welcome your ideas and suggestions. So feel free to contact me at Dr. Lori, that's D-R-L-O-R-I, at animalstodayradio.com. See you next time. Animals Today fun facts for today are about prairie dogs. Despite their name, prairie dogs are not dogs, but members of the rodent family, like squirrels. They grow to be between 12 and 17 inches in length, and they weigh between 2 and 4 pounds. Prairie dogs are very social rodents that live in huge underground burrows called towns, where they can be tens of thousands of prairie dogs, and their tunnels can travel for miles in every direction. Prairie dogs are very affectionate towards each other and will spend a lot of time grooming each other. They will also touch noses when they approach each other like a little kiss. And these your Animals Today fun facts for the day. Welcome back to the show. Okay, we've had fun with animal idioms on the show in the past, commonly used idioms. But how about British animal idioms? Hmm. Mm, British animal idioms in space. <laughs> let's, let's go there. <laughs> Peter, have you heard the expression, mad as a March hare? No. Mad as a March. No. What's that mean? 
It describes a person's eccentric, unpredictable behavior. Okay, hair, H-A-R-E, not like... That's correct. Okay. That's correct. So, okay. so give me an idiom that you would use to describe this meaning of this expression. Uh, let's see. Um, something crazy like a loon or... Yeah, crazy as a loon, going bananas. How about that one? Going bananas. Okay, another British animal idiom. Throw a cat among the pigeons. Okay. So what do you uh, think that means? Like, just incite chaos? Yeah. Cause a chaotic disturbance among okay. a group. Like throwing a hand grenade into something? Or oh, something? that's good. Yeah. What's that expression? I don't know. Cock and bull story. You've, yeah. You've heard that one. That's like a... Uh, Unbelievable. Fanciful. Tale. Here's a good one. The dog's bullocks. Bullocks. I don't know. Like it's the very best. Really? Oh. Like the cat's, cat's meow. pajamas. The oh, cat's, cat's meow. Yeah. Cat's whiskers. The bee's knees. Yeah. Another British expression, horses for courses. You know what that means? Nope. Different people are suited for different things. Oh, like, different strokes. Yeah, different strokes. See a man about a dog. So that means to leave somewhere without explaining where one's going. Oh, okay. See a man about a guy. So what do the Brits say if they're really seeing a man about a dog? <laughs> They say, uh, I'm really, really seeing Yeah, them. I'm not going oh. to the bathroom. I'm really seeing <laughs> Having kittens. Yes. You know what that means? That is being worried? Like freaking out. Like freaking out. having a cow. Oh, oh, like Bart, don't have a cow. Right, man. Bart. Here are a few Australian expressions you might not have heard of. A few kangaroos loose in the top paddock. Oh, that's good. <laughs> like that's someone's loopy. A little, little crazy, yeah. Screw loose. What's that phrase again, Lori? A few kangaroos loose in the top paddock. Okay, I'm going to adopt that one. I'll have a lot of opportunities to use that around here. Oh, good one. That's not nice. To drink with the flies. Drink you know what that means? Nope. To drink alone. How about dingo's breakfast? That means not to have breakfast. Oh, yeah. The dingo ate my baby. You know yeah, the story yeah. behind that? Do you remember two month old disappearing in Australia? Oh. Anyway, the, sad is that, story. Is that real? Uh, controversy behind okay. that. The dog ate my homework. No, that's not Australian. That's, that's what universal. you used to say. Ah, uh, come on. <laughs> Hair of the dog. Yes. That one I've heard about. You know about that one. No, what does I it do mean? Not. That means that you, uh, after a tough night of uh, alcohol consumption, you uh, wake up and... Drink more alcohol. Drink a little more to try to ease the pain. That's right. It's an alcoholic drink taken to cure a yeah. hangover. If only... S Scottish expressions. You're the wee hen that never laid away. What do you think that means? You are a pain in my neck. Yeah, like you're annoying, but it doesn't. No. It means don't play the innocent with me. Oh, okay, well. It's a lang road that's no goat a turnin'. Yeah. <laughs> yeah a long road that does not have a turn. So, like, things are hard, but we'll get better. That's the meaning of it. Got it. I'm not sure how goat fits in this one but a horse a horse my kingdom for a horse William Shakespeare said that mm. used when someone's looking for something that is relatively unimportant a nod you know is as good as a wink to a blind horse have you heard of this one wait a second I need to a nod is a wink blind yeah this horse. is okay. <laughs> this is interesting a nod is as good as a wink to a blind horse. Right. The abbreviated version is a nod is as good as a wink, meaning like a subtle signaling yep. or a slight sign is all that's needed for you to understand. 
Okay. A nod is yeah. as good as a wink. Mm-hmm. But when you think about the meaning of the longer version, which is actually the original version, a nod is as good as a wink to a blind horse, it sort of implies the opposite, right? Because if a horse is blind, he won't be able to see a wink or not. Right. So because of the word blind, it implies the opposite meaning. Whatever hint I give you, or whether it's a nod or a wink, you're not going to understand me because you can't get a hint if you're blind. But the meaning of the longer version is in fact the same as the abbreviated version. Do you get what I'm saying? Convergence. Or am I nodding and winking at <laughs> yes. a blind horse here? I am, I'm getting deaf right okay. now. <laughs> Have you heard of going from my thumb to my pinky by way of my elbow? I haven't, but that, that one. Does I that explain what I just one. tried to do to you? Yes. Okay. Gone to the dogs. Yes, things have gotten pretty bad. Right. One plausible theory of this one comes from China. So in ancient China, they didn't allow dogs within the city walls. So the dogs had to fend for themselves outside the city. So if someone like a criminal or social outcast was kicked out of the city walls, they were literally going to the dogs. Mm -hmm. Very good, Peter. Well, that's... It's a little uh, jaunt around the world. Okay. I thought we were only going to be doing uh, British stuff. British, Australian, yeah. back to China. Okay. Good. Okay. Thank you for joining us today on Animals Today. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner, encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner, and your Animals Today Minute for today is about leeches. Over the millennia, leeches have been used to treat various human maladies. Yes, leeches. These lowly worm-like bloodsuckers were depicted being used as far back as in Egyptian hieroglyphics. Hippocrates used leeches, but bloodletting by means of leech was really popularized by Galen and was widely used in ancient Rome. This was a time when illness was thought to be from an imbalance of the four humors, blood, phlegm, black bile, and yellow bile, and typically too much blood was implicated. Leeches were perfect for bloodletting and rebalancing those humors. Even through the 1800s, leeches were used for bloodletting in Western medicine. But in modern times, leeches do have a genuine medical use, and in 2004, the use of medicinal leeches, they're actually called Herudo medicinalis, as a medical device, was given approval by the FDA. It turns out that they can be quite helpful in aiding the successful surgical reattachment of severed fingers. After the fingers reattach and arterial blood flow is established, the finger gets congested with blood because the veins are not re-sewn. The pressure in the tissue can get so high as to cause clotting and death of the severed digit. These medicinal leeches placed on the site will latch on and suck the blood out for 40 minutes or so, acting as a temporary venous drainage system. And after they let go, the anticoagulant from their salivary glands remains effective for hours, so a bit of bleeding from the bite persists, which is a good thing. Then, after days, when enough small veins have grown in the finger, the leech treatments can stop. Interestingly, the anticoagulant is called hirudin and is used in a few medicines today due to its potency. Now, if you discover a leech or two on your skin while walking in a rainforest or swimming in a pond inhabited by them, try not to panic. First, look all over your body to know just how many you have. Then, remove them by breaking their suction with the edge of a knife or credit card or a fingernail so they fall off. But don't squeeze them or burn them. Infection is rare, but monitor the wounds closely. And that is your Animals Today Minute for today.